0: the swinging palm trees podcast with Akin good morning good afternoon good evening and welcome to the swinging palm trees podcast my name is Akin and thank you for taking the time out to listen to this humble podcast again Uh, my guest today is a chef she's also a chef and she is a very good chef i've said it three times may i have <laughs> the pleasure of introducing to you the listeners and let me see if i get the name right it let's see olayemi yes adelekan
1: adelekan
0: adelekan oh look all yeah. oh, right okay so <laughs> let, so let me just say e kabo suri eto wa eto eto
1: <laughs> that's so good <laughs> thank you so much for having me i'm so delighted I, I know you say it's a humble podcast but honestly i am honored to be on your podcast today and so Eshe thank you for having me <laughs> no
0: the pleasure is all mine thank you so much uh, for the listeners uh because yemi and myself we're both yoruba there'll be moments where We will say a few things in our native language, but rest assured, I will translate accordingly. So you're in good hands. So Yemi, tell the world a little about yourself.
1: Okay. So where do I begin? I was born in Nigeria just over 50 years ago. I was 52 recently. Um, Happy birthday. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm a match baby and I I blame that for having a big mouth. But (laughs) yeah, I was born in Nigeria. I grew up, I was born in a town called Okene and then we moved to northern part of Nigeria to a town called Zaria because my father was schooling. And then when my father finished his degree, we moved back down south a little bit. um, And I went to school there in a town called DeLorean for many, many years. I went to my secondary school and then my university there before and my MBA as well before moving to Lagos for work. And then after that, I moved to the West Indies. So I lived on um, the island of St. Kitts and Nevis, but I lived on the smaller island of Nevis. Um, and I had my two boys when I was on the island. And I moved to the United Kingdom in 97. So I've, I've been a kind of a globetrotter. <laughs> so, uh,
0: so the question to ask you is this. Uh, first of all, Nigerians are everywhere all over the world i don't care where you find yourself in the world you will find a nigerian absolutely so how did you get to send kits
1: uh, so actually, that was because of my husband's job at the time. Um, there was a program in Nigeria called the Technical Aid Corps, where the Nigerian government would kind of release professionals to go work in another country. Um, so we were sent there to go work, even though, I mean, I just tagged along, but usually I find something to do even when I tag along. So I think within a few months of being on the island, I was, re- I was working for their Ministry of Finance and I was responsible for their budget for about three years. Yes, um, even though I was there for two and a half years, I did the third year's budget before I left. So yeah, it was an exciting time, an opportunity to learn about different foods, different culture. There was a huge culture shock when I got there. Both for <laughs> them. <laughs> both for them and for, for, for us as well. Because there were people that asked, Oh, do you oh, we're surprised you speak English? And I'm thinking, I mean, what do you think we speak? And, and I mean, there were just some bizarre things that that, that doesn't even begin thinking about what they thought we, we, we did back in Nigeria or in Africa.
0: Wait a minute, did they think Nigerians, <laughs> or in particular Africans, did they think that um, you're just aliens, that you speak some kind of foreign language? I mean, At the
1: time, I think they even thought we still lived on trees. <laughs> Remember, this was over this was like 25, 27 years ago. So even at the time, they were surprised. They were surprised at our education level, uh, uh, they were surprised at our um, professionalism because they didn't know what to expect. So you can't blame them. All they wait had a minute to go this on. Is Kitts.
0: <laughs> this is sent kids. This uh, is uh. sent kids. It's not like sent kids is, you know, sent kids for God's sake. But remember,
1: that was 27 years ago. So I think at the time there was only one or two other Nigerians that were on the island but both of them had actually lived in Britain so they were seen more as British citizens that had married noviceans so we were the first hardcore Nigerian born and bred showing up on the island but it was just such an amazing time the people were beautiful I mean they were so kind to us so we we loved it.
0: So you left one island to a cold island. Oh, <laughs> honestly,
1: if I had known it was this cold in England, I might not have come.
0: <laughs> well, the <laughs> fact that you've been here now for the past nearly 25 years tells me you love the UK.
1: I do love the UK, but I remember the first four or five years, every winter, I would pray. I don't want to be here for the next winter, but now it just feels like with global warming and everything else that's happening, that the temperature is becoming a lot more comfortable um, for for me. So I no longer try to run away from Britain. Britain is now home. (laughs) Would you
0: compare the cold weather to Nigeria's Hamatan?
1: Um, I don't think it's the same because, in, I mean, when I go back to Nigeria now, I could literally wear a short sleeve in Hamatan. My, my mom will be saying, cover up so you don't catch pneumonia. Not that you would from the cold weather, but, <laughs> but that's what my mom would say, cover up. And I will be thinking, actually, this is the only weather that I could sleep in or that's comfortable enough. Um, but for a Nigerian, it's the equivalent of our winter. So, those of us that go back, it's not cold enough, but for them, it's their winter. And so, they would literally be freezing when we would be like, <laughs> no, it's not cold enough. So, <laughs>
0: So you studied at the University of Ilari, yeah, and you did your MBA there as well. yeah. And then you did some work in Lagos. But prior to this, did you do your National Youth Service Corps?
1: Oh, yes, I did. I just did. <laughs> I, I absolutely did my NYC. I did my NYC in Ibado in um, in Lagos government. Okay. Um, and I La was there. Yeah. <laughs> and I lived in a little village called Ejioku. Um Yeah. So just to let you know that I really did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not pretending to have done it. I did it. Um, and I was a corpus liaison officer in my role, which was which was great. Um, so during election time, I was like driven from one palace to another palace or from one village to another village to make sure that the election was going well, because my corpus would be out there um well yeah it was a it was a fun time
0: you know i never did that in nigeria well NYSA. you missed
1: out honestly no, i don't know
0: i i, 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 I grew up <laughs> i grew up in ibado and no i didn't miss anything no, no,
1: no, no, honestly i i would i would um, disagree with you on that one i can uh-uh. honestly tell you that going for that youth service it was just an opportunity to be with people from all over Nigeria it wasn't as common as it is now for people not wanting to do it or for for people wanting to do it in certain areas so you had this mix of people um, that that you did life with for a year um yeah so I loved it I absolutely loved it yeah it was fun
0: You know, I was actually going to join the NDA, the Nigerian Defense Academy, back in the early, late 80s, early 90s. And then a friend of mine who was a lieutenant at the time, he showed me pictures of what they went through. And I said, yeah, I'm not doing that. Mm-mm. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not doing that. So you left St. Kitts and you came to the UK and of all the areas to find yourself in, you find yourself in North Yorkshire, Harrogate.
1: Ooh, it wasn't even North Yorkshire to start with. Harrogate is probably how many places? So when we first came, we came to Cumbria. Which is even almost worse than than Yorkshire weather wise, because it rains all the time in Cumbria. (laughs) Um, So we were in Whitehaven in Cumbria about two years and then moved to Manchester for maybe seven months. And um, from Manchester, moved to Barrow in Furness, which is South Cumbria. Or is it West Cumbria now? Yeah. North. Okay, maybe we are West Cumbria um, in Barrow in Furness and then from Barrow in Furness to Blackburn in Lancashire and then Lancashire to North Yorkshire Harrogate. So I've stayed in the north. May I just say
0: (laughs) you don't have a northern accent.
1: No, no. I think <laughs> I think my accent is confused now because <laughs> even from within Nigeria I, I was born in Okene. So I could have had an Igberia accent and then I went
2: <laughs>
1: And then <laughs> and then I was in Zaria for um, most of my like young life and then I was in Omaro and then I was in lorry so now people say I talk like I'm singing I'm like no wonder this brain is confused <laughs> no I don't have an accent I don't even know what my accent is all I know is that people tell me they love listening to it and some people say they just want to listen to me go on and on and on so yeah it must be good enough (laughs) may i
0: just say you have a very very chilled i I don't want to say chilled because you are more are very open it's more your voice is very what's that word i'm looking for that word when a person is so not soothing it's more joy more joyful like yeah uh, it's more of a joyful kind of voice that's it. it's a joyful voice that it's like okay when you're talking you're excitable Mm. You're very excitable about life. It's like yeah. okay, and I'm guessing if I was having a bad day, and you're talking to me excitably one of two things will happen. I would say, "What is she so happy about?" <laughs> and so, or okay, well she must be selling something. Let's see if I can buy it. So yeah. it's that really kind of voice, like yeah. you know, all right. So. You find yourself with your husband. Oh, before I forget, whose idea was it for you guys to come to the UK or was it work related?
1: It was work related as well.
0: Okay, right. Okay, So you find yourself with your two boys who are, I'm guessing, are young boys in their 20s, I'm guessing, or maybe in their late 20s, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, mid to late 20s. I've got a 25 year old and a 27 year old.
0: Wow, I mean, I've got nieces now. They're twenty-five years old as well, and it's like, what happened? You were changing their diapers one day; next minute, they're taller than you. They're talking to you about stuff. It's like, what happened?
1: Yeah, I mean, they've been taller than me now for over ten years, so I had no hope to start with in that in that area. True, but
0: being a Nigerian mother, it's like no matter how tall you are, tofejagba. I think think every night, I mean, my my niece, bless her. Hi, Jessica. My niece, uh, we were talking not too long ago. No, it wasn't Jessica. It was uh, my other niece, uh, Elizabeth. She was talking to me saying she wants to learn some Yoruba language. Mm. And I said, okay, you know what? Whenever I see you, I'll talk to you in Mm -hmm. our language Mm -hmm. and translate it back to you. But then I said to her, well, I asked her, you do know this particular phrase, right? She said, what is it? jagba." So that, yeah, I know what that means. So.
1: <laughs> Anyone growing up in Nigeria knows that word. <laughs> so, for those of
0: you listening, if you want to know what that means, that means the rough translation is: Do you want to get hit? And do no, you want you to get, get a licking. Yeah, 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 <laughs> lick 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 do you want? Do you want to taste some slapping? I don't know. It, it's basically you don't want to get whooped. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: think licking and whooped. Actually, sounds less dramatic than hitting. <laughs> I think when you when
0: you translate it directly from your about to English, chauffeur jegba, it's like, do you want, want to, to eat, eat a cane? A, a chauffeur <laughs> jegba, do you want to eat a cane? Which now leads me and segues in nicely to you as a, okay, is it chef or chef? Chef this is my nigerianness coming at i know chef <laughs> <laughs>
1: he's
0: with a sh- <laughs> okay which brings me to you and master chef you yeah. are now upon the time you the listener listening to this i don't know whether you won Or whether you're a semi-finalist, I don't know because the show is still ongoing. And of course, you've got NDA, non-disclosure agreement, so you can't say anything. I can
1: can say that I'm a semi-finalist already because the semi-final starts next week and there are 10 of us going into the semi-finals.
0: Okay, right. So let's work with that at the moment. So you are a semi-finalist in MasterChef. Yeah. How did you even decide you want to go MasterChef? (laughs)
1: <laughs> um I wish I could say like I had I had it planned and it, it's been my dream for forever. The one thing that I can definitely say is I've watched MasterChef and so many other food shows for as long as I've been in the UK because I love cooking, I love learning about food. Um but recently, I think it was uh, march last year, I took a job that meant that I needed to come to London and I was going to be in London during the week. Um so when I was here, it, a part of me just thought, surely I can't just be here for the job. There's got to be more for me in London. And one of these people, like, I always try and explore. Like, it's never just enough. I was like, is there more that there is available to me? And that question just prompted a thought just flashed through my mind. And that thought was MasterChef. And I'm thinking, MasterChef? And... Um, I had read this book and I kind of practiced seeing like before my brain scares me out, I act on a thought. So before my brain gets a chance to say, whoa, whoa, we can't go there, I just go for it. And so I immediately took my iPad, Googled Master Chef, saw that it was still, um, they were still taking applications. I think it was on a... Friday, late Friday night, and I spent all weekend completing the application process because once I started, it was more like, well, you can't stop now. You've just got to go for it. Um, So I submitted it on a Sunday night. I got a call on a Tuesday. I was auditioning on the Friday. So so everything just moved so fast. It, It was one of those moments where I thought, okay, what's going on with MasterChef? Thinking, not a chance. No way. Would I get an audition? No way would I even get shortlisted. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs>
0: okay, so before we go any further with MasterChef, let's go back. Let's dial back to about maybe 20, 30 years, 35 years. Mm. Do you recall the first dish you cooked?
1: Um, if I have to think of the first dish that I cooked from start to finish, it would probably be jollof rice. It would be, and that would be when I was in university. I would go, no, maybe before university, actually, um, in my family. So from the age of about five, six, I was the kid that played and I wanted to cook. So I would take like little cans tin can and use sand to pretend that the sand was rice and another
0: Oh, that brings back memories.
1: And I will literally have like three stones trying to mimic what the adults did with the open fire and then put like little twigs and then put my little um, jar on top of it. But as I grew up, I think it was maybe around the age of six or seven that my father I think, saw my interest in food, but I had a mother who would always say, nobody's touching my food, I'm the only one cooking for my husband. So you had <laughs> so, so in our home, there was no chance that I was going to be able to get my hands on proper cooking, but, but fortunately, my father walked away from home and I would often go visit him. And so he would let me lose in his kitchen, um, and I began to make things from the age of six, seven, eight. So then I went to boarding school from the age of 10 to 15. So the first time that I can actually say I owned my own recipe, my own process, my own pots and pans was my first year in university at the age of 16. Hmm.
0: And for those of you listening, when we talk about boarding school, you have to realize that boarding school in Nigeria is completely different to boarding school in the UK or in other countries because when you go to boarding school in Nigeria, it's every man and woman for himself or herself. So there's no messing around. Yes, there may be the diner where they'll give you food, but there's only so much that food is going to sustain you. And you better learn how to cook, whether you like it or not. So <laughs>
1: I think I think it depends on the boarding school, though, because in my boarding school, we weren't allowed to cook. Oh, really? So No, because, as it, I mean, we're talking... Yeah, I, I was in boarding school from 1980 to 85. So it was um, a federal government college, which is now called Unity College. In um, They're now called Unity Colleges. But we had everything. It was a great time to be there. Um, Yeah, but let's
0: be honest. This was was the 80s. You know, when you still knew the value of a Naira. You know, when the Naira was still a Naira.
1: Yeah, Naira was still good. School was still fantastic. I mean, some of my classmates were children of presidents and state governors. They weren't going abroad for schooling. We were all in FGC together. But we weren't allowed to cook, but we still did. Because those were the days of ring boilers. <laughs> and then we did toast with an iron. So I went <laughs> <out to> the- <laughs> We couldn't have a stove or anything like that. We all had to eat at the dining, whether or not the food was great. Th- that wasn't an issue. You just had to eat what you were given. But of course, students break the rule and so yeah, we found ways to make snacks and uh, <laughs> and <laughs> one of the ones I absolutely loved was using an iron to make toast and it just looks like it's proper using like a sandwich toaster um, because it's like smooth on top and um, with the butter fantastic it's amazing
0: <laughs> how well people tend to adapt given the circumstance i know back then growing up whenever the power supply went off and mm. you know going to secondary school they made sure that you had to wear ironed uniforms okay. mm-hmm. so if the power went off what we had to do, we had to try and get those. Remember those treetop um, bottles, yes. which are mm-hmm. really extra hard? We get yeah. boiling water, put it Ooh. inside, and then you use it as a rolling pin just ah. to iron out the creases. That's
2: <laughs> of course to me. <laughs> oh, oh,
0: oh, oh. you'd be surprised. <laughs> so when <are> you're saying <laughs> with the toaster just makes me laugh. <laughs> so you made your first dish, which was jollof rice.
1: Yep, and stew.
0: And stew. Who yeah. had first taste of it?
1: It was me. I mean, I was cooking for myself. Okay. Um, and then I had friends and roommates. So they would, we would share the food. But for the most part, you on an, on an allowance. So again, you monitored how, how your food disappeared. So, <laughs> so yeah, my, my friends, my close friends tasted my food. But I was always eager to learn. Um, I would watch how others prepared their stew differently from mine. And wondered whether I tasted better because of what they did differently.
0: And I have to ask this because I am contractually obligated by other Ghanaians who have come on this podcast. Yeah. Have you tried Ghanaian jollof rice?
1: Unfortunately, and to my shame, I haven't. Okay. Um, And I know, I know which is a safe place to be, because then I can't speak into which is better.
0: <laughs> so, okay. So okay. now <laughs>
1: I'm glad that I haven't actually tried jollof rice, but I know that there's the war of the jollof. Oh. And um, actually in the States, there's a competition, actually. And sometimes the Nigerian is winning, sometimes the Ghanaian is winning, but I haven't actually tasted a proper Ghanaian jollof rice.
0: I don't even know why we have such a hang up about this. I spoke to a South Korean who's married to a Senegalese guy. Mm. And I asked her the same question. I said, oh, have you tried, um, uh," because jollof rice originated from the the Wolof in Senegal.
1: Wolof people, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I asked her, are you familiar with this banter between Nigerians and Ghanaians about jollof rice? She said, no, she hasn't. And I've, oh. I've recommended that you should try the Nigerian jollof rice because oh. ours is far superior. That's right, Mark <laughs> and Dennis, you hear me, I'm saying it. Okay, so you go to uni and of course at uni you have to start cooking. And mm-hmm. what was the first complicated dish for you that you made in Nigeria?
1: Um, the first that I would term as complicated was probably Nigerian meat pie. And um, the reason I say it's complicated because I'm a visual learner. So if I see you do something that I can replicate it, um, so things like our sources and everything, I had seen it so many times that I didn't find those complicated. But I had a friend who was studying catering and one morning, I think on the way to uni, I stopped by her place and she was making a meat pie from scratch. So obviously making the dough, making the filling, um, rolling it, giving it a shape, using the fork and everything else. So for me, that was complicated because um, that was my introduction to that kind of um, what I would term pastry work. I mean, my mom would do what, what we call chin chin in Nigeria. I don't know if you know chin chin. So every Christmas, that was part of our own Christmas um, ritual, so to say, or our own Christmas thing. So every Christmas, my mom would like do almost um, a quarter of a bag of flour, would turn it to chin chin for all of our customers because she had a corner shop. So all the people that had patronized us during the year, we would give them chin chin. So for me, chin chin was chin chin and puff puff and buns was as far as pastry that I knew until I found out about the meat pie, how to make it. Yeah.
0: I have friends of mine who aren't Nigerian and they always ask me every now and then that uh, what desserts do Nigerians have at get togethers? I said, well, Mm. there are three things. You chin chin, (laughs) your puff puff (laughs) slash buns. (laughs) And meat pie. <laughs> None of ask, which
1: are actually desserts.
0: <laughs> but for Nigerians, you want dessert? This is dessert. They're starters and desserts. Whether you like it. You want something fresh? We'll get you fruits. But these are the three things. These are the
1: three things. <laughs> you
0: know, when you say mints when you say meat pie, I remember when I got into the country, I came into the UK in ninety-four and someone offered me during christmas some mince pies Ooh. now mm. coming from niger you think that meat pie mince. is actually it's mince's is meat <laughs> so looking at me my bush my bush self at the time i put you know i take one bite of this thing they dried raisins <laughs> uh, 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 uh. of course i spat it out <laughs> <laughs> like the bushman I was. So much so that to this day, whenever people offer me mince pies, I take a spoon and I scoop out the oh, raisins. I, I don't eat don't.
1: mince pies either. <laughs>
0: I like the pastry, but the mince itself,
1: mm-mm, yeah, mm-mm, no. Mm-mm. Once you've tried the meat pie, I mean, nothing else compares. Exactly. you know. Try I, a really good one, nothing. Exactly. I remember my wife
0: took me, well, she took me to this, well, she didn't take me. It was a corner shop where we used to live before. And apparently it was one of the oldest fish and pie shops mm-hmm. in London. And she thought, oh, this sounds interesting. I'll buy it. And this is Southeast London pie, whereby it's just boiled meat and the pastry but Mm -hmm. we didn't know that we took one bite of this thing i had to spit it out there were no (laughs) peppers no greens the meat wasn't even cooked well This was Mm. oyibo cooking. I thought, ugh, Mm. "Ugh, this is nasty. (laughs) It was nasty. But this is something, this was a delicacy for some of these guys. And Mm -hmm. jellied eel. So I'm going to respect that. No. Yeah. Mm, mm -mm. Mm. There's certain things. Okay. (laughs) So from Nigeria to UK, and you get to the MasterChef show. And we will come back to that, which we're building a timeline here. Yeah. So who is the chef in the family? I am. Do you allow any of the boys, including your husband, to enter your kitchen?
1: Yeah, I mean my.
0: Okay, you see the way how you the way how you say that. You say that with reluctance.
1: It's like <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: no, no, no.
1: I was just gonna say that. No, my my boys. I taught them how to cook, um, and that's because their father didn't cook. And um, and I sometimes felt like. I was always in, in a full-time job as well. And sometimes I felt like it would have been nice to, if I'm running late, to be able to walk in and the rice is already on the stove and I can finish it off. So with my boys, I thought to to, them, to myself, oh, I, I am going to save your future wives by making sure <laughs> you guys know how to cook.
0: <laughs> you know what? You sound similar to my mom. <laughs> my mom. My mom used to say to me and my younger brother back then, and I started to learn how to cook when I was... Twelve, I think 12 mm. or 13 or even younger, mm. as far as my mother was concerned, she used to say no woman will use food as a bargaining chip yeah. for her boys. Mm. You will learn how to cook whether yeah. you like it or not. And I remember mm. years ago, I went outside to go and play football and I went back in. And my mom asked me, she said, come and help in the kitchen, you know, and in Nigeria, you know, you, you, I don't know how I even got away with it. But anyway, I finally get back inside and everyone's at the table eating and my mother had made pounded jam. Hmm. And I asked my mom, oh, where's my pounded yam?" She said, oh, it's in the kitchen. I said, okay, that's great. Went inside the yam. kitchen. Oh there, was, oh, there was yam there. But wasn't pounded. It wasn't pounded. <laughs> it wasn't pounded
1: yam. <laughs> that's a woman after my own heart.
0: <laughs> and of course, you know how it is, man, with the mortar and pestle. So... I'd go inside and think, okay, let me try and make this pounded yam. Worst decision of my life. Had I known I should have just eaten the yam on its own. It was lumpy. It was cold. And my mom said to me, you're going to eat that. I said, I don't want to eat it. Ah, you never tell a Nigerian mother you're not going to eat that. Ah, either you eat that or you eat air. Which one are you going to go for?
1: (laughs) I went to bed hungry a few times because <laughs> I refused to eat what was cooked.
0: Oh, I was a wow. fussy
1: eater. But I mean, this story you tell, I grew up with an older brother and my my brother didn't do anything in the kitchen or in the house because at that time it was more like, yeah, you're going to be a future housewife. So you must know how to do everything. But hey, this other guy, he's going to have somebody wait on him hands and foot. Um, and that was like the, the culture back in the day and uh, I was a bit of a rebel so I always challenged my mom why can't he cook? I said, why can't Shegun be in the kitchen? And I was like, like he's a, he's a man, so what? He's not going to eat Um, <laughs> but, but my mom learned the hard way and he learned the hard way because when he went to University of Ibadan um, he studied computer science and we're quite close he came back one day and he said to me Yummy, you won't know what happened I said, what? He said he tried to cook rice and beans together. And of course, (laughs) (laughs) you know where I'm going with that. (laughs) Without ever having tried it before, he started both the rice and the beans at the same time. So that was so hilarious. And he told me he kept adding water and adding water, the beans was hard, the rice was soft.
2: <laughs> and,
1: and I told my mom, that's your fault.
0: <laughs> but... We had a cab driver uh, not too long ago and he was telling us a similar story whereby I think it's I men- I don't want to say it's a mentality, I think for Particular generations in Nigeria. It was the
1: mentality. It was the
0: mentality is that, ah, you know, being the woman, the woman has to do certain things. She has to do the cooking, the cleaning. Mm -hmm. She has to be the housekeeper, keeper, if you will. And Mm. the man has to be the bread winner. Winner. So the cab driver was saying that he married a Jamaican woman, Mm. and before they got serious and actually got married, he had asked her to go into the kitchen to cook. The Jamaican woman looked at him, laughed, and told him to F off and say (laughs) you. And he was so surprised. He was gobsmacked because he was fresh (laughs) to the country. And he had a woman telling him what she wasn't going to do.
1: To do. Yeah.
0: And he was pleasantly, and he learned from that. Mm. I mean, they're still together. They've been together now for about over 20 years. But Mm. it was him understanding that this is not the way to go. And I think it's important because I know we've been joking and laughing about food, but I think it's also fundamentally important Mm. that irrespective of your cultural background, this whole idea that a woman should be the one. It's like, no, if anything, it's good for you to have a partnership whereby you can cook, the wife can cook, the kids can cook that way. God forbid, but should anything happen or you're Mm. tired, like you said, Mm. you'd be working full time. Someone can go into the kitchen without blowing it up to kingdom come.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I um, I think it's a disservice to ourselves and to relationships when we insist on these roles. Because back in the day, when our grandparents or our parents... Enforce that, there was clear um, division of um, job, like the men were the ones that went out to work and earn the money, and a lot of women were stay-at-home full-time wives, which in that case, yeah, but in in the days that we're in, both both spouses are working full time and I think it, it makes for a great marriage when we don't enforce that because the same men if you're not careful as soon as you're rolling into bed they're like okay now now mm. in the mm. next <laughs> thing, are <and you're> thinking <laughs> are you having a laugh
2: I've been in the
1: kitchen cooking walking all day and now you want another service on top of like, oh
0: yeah let's go <laughs>
1: You should have done the dishes in that case. (laughs) But don't you think that
0: it's a shame that even in this day and age, there is still that mentality and not just within Nigerian cultures. I've seen this in different cultures. Um, Mm. I've seen it in Indian cultures, Pakistani cultures, Mm. Mm. and even in English cultures as well. I don't want to, I don't want to put a label.
1: Mm. I
0: don't want to put a label, but Mm. in many ethnic cultures, yeah i've seen such a thing whereby there's like a label to say this is your
1: your job role yeah. mm-hmm. that's
0: what you need to do mm-hmm. and when you then go against that it's like why are you doing that mm-hmm. i mean i know when i've gone to nigeria i went to for some time ago to go and for a funeral Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my cousins about doing certain things at home. I said, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I do the cleaning at times. The wife does the cooking or I do the cooking, she does the cleaning and mm-hmm. and they were surprised saying, Uh-uh, ah, ah, why are you uh ah, what's your wife there for?
1: You're not a man <laughs> and, Exactly that you, aren't you a What did she do with your head? <laughs> and and yeah. you look and you say, Wow, Mm.
0: and then when I see and this is this is no judgment on my part but it's mm. more like an observation seeing
2: yeah.
0: how they treated their wives and it was like oh yeah do this oh yeah do that mm. and it becomes it does, it's not a partnership like you said it's no. not it's not a part it's not a relationship it's more like no. a I'm the man.
1: Sometimes it feels almost like a servitude. Yes, it is. It almost feels like a master, like you're there to wait on somebody. And when it's at its extreme, there's no way you could have a romantic relationship that's rich, that's vibrant, that's enriching or fulfilling if one person doesn't feel like a partner. So if one person feels like they're waiting on you, then it's hard for you to, for them to transition at your at your request, and suddenly you want to. And so I think it goes beyond the cooking and the housework. I actually think it, it stains the entire relationship. It gives it a shade, um, you know, um, like different shades of relationship. And I think sometimes it's even really bad.
0: You know, I said to my wife once, um, she's Tamil and i said to her we were joking around about something I was, that was it. i was cleaning the house and she was on the sofa doing some work and i said to her you do realize that back then in my culture that um, you would actually be doing the cleaning and as a matter of fact me you being the be man you would be lying down <laughs> yeah exactly and me being Watching the man
1: football
0: exactly well actually actually i don't really watch football but you know i'd be yeah. i'd be doing you know lying lying down doing whatever and if anything when you come into the room seeing me you'd have to kneel down in reverence you know in to say hello my husband how i you? you know what my wife does she just looks at me laughs and continues typing <laughs> away
1: <laughs> you know is not what they say that when you don't have anything nice to say just keep quiet just smile, k- <laughs> move on <laughs>
0: And you know what? I just said, well, that's my cue. And I just kept on cleaning house. <laughs> okay. So let's go on to, actually, before we go into Chef because we're having a great time as it is. So let us ask you the question. What is the quote or the saying that you are bringing on to this episode of the Swinging Palm Trees podcast?
1: So for me, I'm. Um... What I came up with is the one thing that my father always said remember whose child you are. Oh. And I felt like every other quote that I could have brought that would be like a warning or an advice, I felt like it actually hinges on that one because if you remember whose child you are, you don't need that many other proverbs. To <laughs> yeah. <what to> do. <laughs> do you know what?
0: Do so, you know to this day, my mother <laughs> would say the same thing to me as well. And mm. I'm nearly hitting 50. She would say to me, Ratiomonity yeah. or gel.
1: Rante jail. words, don't don't bring shame to the family. <laughs> don't bring shame. The We're is, not a family of failure. <laughs> exactly.
0: And the thing is, that particular line, remember where you've come from. Mm. It's open to so many outlets. You, yeah. you 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 don't F this up. You <laughs> no.
1: and from and for me, you know, when I was thinking about what which one, it was the first one that just sat in my call, Remember who you are, because I think it's so powerful because it speaks of identity. So growing up in Nigeria, my father didn't let me go queue up to welcome a governor, he didn't let me um, go look at a white man, it was more like He's not different from you. He's not better than you. So from a young cha- uh, from a young age, knowing who you are or whose you are or where you come from or who your family is was a thing of hold your head up high. Um, we might not have a lot, but we're not beggars, and there are certain things that we won't do, and we work hard. We are diligent. We are this. We don't fail, and th- so there was all of these things that was tied up into know who you are. So you can't be found in the middle of corruption. You can't be found in the middle of certain things because, no, I, we don't do those sort of things. So for me, it's just, it's, it's just the most important one.
0: Mm. It's also, like you rightly said, it's, it's that sense of identity, mm. of knowing where you come from. And yeah. not, just, not just about not bringing shame to the family, but also to consider who you are as yeah. a Yoruba person. Mm-hmm. What does that mean as a Yoruba person representing? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you can't represent every Yoruba person. It's not no. going to happen. But you can represent at least who you are and yeah. your family. And you mm-hmm. want to bring a great honor, honor. to it. Yeah. Because you know, no matter who you are, it's whatever your culture, you want to bring honor
2: yeah.
0: to the family. And the family doesn't necessarily have to be extended because we all know what extended family is like Mm -hmm. in Nigeria. Mm, Yeah. That's just problem (laughs) as it is. But also, but rather for at least the nuclear family, because that Mm -hmm. way your kids see that. Yeah. They know where they've come from based on you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then other people who aren't Yoruba can Mm -hmm. understand that as well. And they definitely see that as well.
1: Yeah for me it's about that family value the core value that that's not just the family but the tribe as you say the village um like yeah growing up in nigeria there are some things you couldn't go home and say somebody disciplined you because you got the second round (laughs) 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 nobody defended and said yeah the person shouldn't have smacked you because it was like if you did something wrong and they smacked you well-deserved, but but from this home, we need to reinforce because that was your outside one. We still mm. need to remind you that you shouldn't even have needed that smack outside. But I think it's the core values that we subscribe to. Yeah. You,
0: you know what is funny about what you said? I, I do recall that back in Nigeria, I mean, I think things are different now, but back then mm-hmm. when discipline happened, it happened. It happened, so, yeah. If you were disciplined, and I'm not talking of, oh, suspension. Nigerian Mm. discipline back in the schools back then were hardcore. Mm. If you went back home to tell your parents what had happened, you best hope that what did happen was an uncaused just from the side of the principal or the teachers. Because if they were to come to your school and found out that, yes, you actually screwed up,
2: <laughs>
1: ah hey <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> you can, yeah you, I mean you knew your second round was waiting As ah. sometimes you actually preferred for the teacher to give you all the discipline just so you wouldn't have to deal with it at home or or your mom as well. <laughs> when they say, until your father comes. And you think, oh, Lord, just deal with the situation now.
0: And <laughs> let's <laughs> you know move on. <laughs> you know, that, that's such a horrible thing when the, when the mother says, wait till your father comes home. Yeah. And that is scary because that's all well and good. Mm. But what it was more scary back then, and not for me. I had some friends who would say, their fathers would say, wait till your mother gets home. ah.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: i think it depends on who the disciplinarian is is in the family so you get that
0: but you know when you've got both parents who are disciplinarians
1: Mm, Ah. that's hard yeah Ah. that's hard the one i used to hate is when they wake you up in the middle of the night (laughs) and and they call your name three times And you're thinking what have i done now
0: <laughs> you know it was psychological warfare man i mean i think some i think maybe there might be some deep-rooted trauma for many nigerians because who does that to their child when the parent says to you you know you've been disciplined yeah. and you think they say okay ah, oh, don't worry about it and you think you're off the hook
1: yeah. and
0: then you go to sleep and at one in the morning ah you so think it's the spirits? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you sit by your bed and you're thinking, oh, Lord, what's going on? And three times, they always make sure they call you at least three times. It's almost like just in case you didn't say, "Um, here, speak, Lord, for and your servant. You
0: <laughs> and it's your full name. It will yeah. never It will never be you, the half of your name. It wouldn't be yeah. Yemi. It would be whatever it is. And it's at that moment, your soul leaves your body.
1: (laughs) Because, Because it's harder because they're not there to beat you. But sometimes those words actually cut you a lot deeper than a cane. And sometimes it's not like the words are so bad. I think it's just the enormity of being woken up from sleep right in the middle of the night where everywhere else is silent is the enormity of the conversation that happens around that time. And it could just be like you're going back to uni or you're going back to school and they want to remind you that if you go near a guy, you will get pregnant just by standing next (laughs) to them.
2: Sex education. just,
1: Just to put the fear of God in you. And you have that conversation and a part of you is thinking... I don't ever want to have this conversation proper. (laughs) So there cannot be um, pregnancy, <laughs> there cannot be anything because nothing has happened and i am being woken up in the middle of the night. So mm. nothing can happen because I don't want to be woken up in the middle of the night. But it's, just, it's, a, it's a Nigerian thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a
0: Nigerian thing. So leading from the proverb you've shared with us, thank you very much. Let's yeah. go back to Chef. So mm-hmm. you got the phone call on the Thursday, I believe.
1: On a Tuesday,
0: on the Tuesday, you got the phone call on the Tuesday saying that right, you've been given this chance to be a, a contestant. What was that? The you're first... still.
1: I, I think that at that point is the fact that you're still being considered. So there were still loads of conversations that would happen before that stage, but it would be always like, so you've got through this stage, but this is the next stage, and this is all the other things that you need to think about um, because. It, I mean, as you can tell from watching the show, it's intense. It's, um, you have to be healthy mentally, physically, emotionally. So, all of those things are considered on the journey into the kitchen. Mm. Yeah. So,
0: when you did get confirmation that you were going to be on the show, yeah, doing food on national TV, let's not forget syndication worldwide what was the first thing that went through your mind? The first word, and be honest.
2: Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not supposed to say that. Uh,
1: well, yeah, you she said, can be say honest. <laughs> <laughs> if my mom listens to this, I might have a middle of the night conversation <laughs> for using a foul language. <laughs> Okay, so that word comes
0: to your mind.
1: <laughs> so the version I would use is I say shoot. That's the version that I that I would normally like shoot. What have I got myself into?
0: You do realize I'm yeah. just going to tell you now. The original word is not going to be edited out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm not expecting
1: it to be. Actually, I know. It's, it's, it's what it is. <laughs> so
0: you find out that you're going on the show yeah. Did you have subconsciously a list of what would be on your menu? Um.
1: So when I after I got the call. My first thought was, I have to do jollof rice and fried plantain. For me, it just felt like a rite of passage. And I remember joking with them um, when, we were, when I presented my food. Obviously, it was edited out. But one of the things I said was, they will take my Nigerian passport if I do not cook jollof rice.
2: <laughs> and I
1: can't afford to lose my Nigerian passport. I need it. Um, honestly, with, with the, my first cook, it just felt like it was the honoring thing to do, um, to take, because a part of me going on to that show was, I could have taken any cuisine because I love food in general, but I wanted to showcase our food, our ingredients, and so starting with jollof rice, which is, to me, one of the most popular food, um, it, it was a no-brainer.
0: So, you go on, and... I actually found out about you on the show via my wife, Ashanti Omka. She said to me, oh, listen, I found out that there's a Nigerian on MasterChef. I said, okay, that's great because the last time a Nigerian was on MasterChef was a chap called Victor Okunowo, and he made Amala. Mm -hmm. Now, this is Amala. Mm. Okay, for those of you listening, I apologize. Amala is like a... um, It's a dish made of dried yam skin or dried yam. Mm. And it has different variations. You've got the dark one and you've got the very light, the light one. But the dark Mm. one is called amala and it's an acquired taste. But going back to what I was saying, this guy had made amala for MasterChef. And I thought, Mm. wow, that's a a brave guy because it's an acquired taste. Mm. And apparently the people actually liked it. So Mm. when my wife told me that you were on and you brought suya, Oh, you did suya. I, I thought, okay, right. So, because in the kitchen, you have a time limit. Yeah. And as you well know, like any other Nigerian or any ethnic group, when we cook, we cook well. We yeah. don't do any of that, insert the name of the chef here, kind yeah. of cooking, whereby mm-hmm. it's 30 minutes. Mm-mm. It's about an hour. So, was that an issue for you, knowing that you had certain dishes which despite the time constraint, you had to cook it well.
1: Yeah, uh, it was. But with my job, with my day job as a project manager, I'm actually very, very good with time management. So it was always thinking, how can I speed up the process? So sometimes, I mean, I know that if I have to boil meat, it would be 45 minutes on the hob. So I would use a pressure cooker for something like that. And then sometimes for my tomato sauce or whatever, I would have something going on in the oven. So I might be roasting the pepper in the oven while doing something else so that the cooking of the pepper is already starting in the oven, rather than me blending raw pepper, and it takes forever, to even get the water out of the pepper before you can fry it. I mean, that's like an hour. <laughs> that's an hour. So, yeah, I think it was just, it wasn't impossible to do. I mean, there were things that I would have wanted to do, like... um. I had a dish designed around beans like black eye beans and like um moi, moi and all of those kind of things, but it will take a lot longer. So you had to be smart with the dishes that you were presenting, but I still wanted to do Nigerian food. And every cook that I did, I felt like I was really pushed to the wire every using every second. Yeah.
0: Were you also influenced in making probably any Igbo dishes or Alsa dishes or anything from the north or other parts of Nigeria apart from Yoruba?
1: Yeah, I would say so because, um, I mean, obviously I can't talk about dishes that I haven't already, uh, that I haven't been showed on TV. But one of the things that um, I have a, a friend who is from um, Edo, and she introduced me to a lot of Eastern spices, so like scent leaves. So I actually had scent leaf, fresh scent leaf, um, just in time for the semi-finals. It came from Nigeria, and I took it into the kitchen, um, and um, I used like um, l- like the day that I made egusi. That egusi had bitter leaf, which is a wooro, and then I took like Cameroon pepper, Uda um, seed. Um, So lots of spices. And then, of course, the suya seasoning is from the northern part of Nigeria. So I took a lot of um, influence. I focused more on the ingredients. So I wasn't always trying to just do the traditional, this is how we do it in Nigeria, and I'm replicating it word for word. Um, so like the f Riro and the Agussi, I chose to separate them, even though when I'm at home, I usually make my F4 with the Agussi. So I wanted to show versatility in our in our um, ingredients and in the way we do things that actually you can have a 4 Riro, you can have the Agussi as a sauce that you pour on the side and for the The diner, you create a more pleasurable experience because they are getting to mix and match as they like. Um, And I think that's the fun part of food.
0: So when you were making the dishes, uh, and let's talk about the fo and egusi, all the dishes in question. Mm. Were you making them as if you were to serve it to Nigerians or were you serving it for a different taste palette, if you will? (laughs)
1: I think I did that for the very first um, for the jollof rice, so I toned down the amount of chili peppers that I would have used normally because I was just thinking it might be too hot for them. Then I got the feedback like they were expecting heat. I'm like, okay, thank you very much. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you for giving me the permission to be me. Um, I felt it was hot enough. It could have been hotter. It wasn't like it was. I mean, I used atarodo in every single course that's habanero pepper for those who don't know Um, i use it in every single cook and i use cameroon pepper in every single cook as well um but what i tried to do was maybe tone it down or have something that's not quite as spicy um yeah but i didn't after my first cook i didn't cook to their palate i cooked to our palate even my egusi had iru Oh, wow. Ah. Loc- locust beans. Dawa, dawa. So it was as authentic as can be. Yeah. <laughs> OK. All right. I
0: know I know there's only so much you can talk about because you're in the semi-finals. But what was it like when the apron went around your neck for the first time?
1: Wow. Um, It was just one of the most surreal moments of my life because the reason I never thought of going on the show was always because I thought our, our food would be polarizing. So I never personally, I didn't give our food a chance. And so that meant I would never have gone on the show. So getting that apron was validation that there was a place for us, and there was a place for our food, there was a place for our culture, the way we eat. Um, And from that point on, I was determined to just keep showcasing Nigerian food. And as I progressed, it was not just showcasing how we would cook it in Nigeria, but I was actually starting to think, actually, if we're going to elevate our food, if we're going to put this food on global stage, what can it look like? And that began to shape some of the things that I did.
0: And where is that apron now?
1: I still don't have it. (laughs) Uh, uh, it Uh, uh. But I think at some point I will be gifted the apron because um, past contestants have already said, oh, you can put it on the wall. And um, I think I might sleep in it for like a week or two before I put (laughs) it on the wall.
0: (laughs) So talking about Nigerian foods, would you Mm -hmm. consider if there was time Would you want to make real pounded jam on set? Not pound though, real pounded jam. Real
1: pounded jam. I mean, yes, you can make real pounded jam because I make it in my thermomix. So... And there's several mix on the show, so there's the gadget that would easily turn yam into hundred yam. No, no, no. Yam.
0: I'm talking of the real McCoy. I'm talking Udo. Like yes. And no, not a chance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> but and I mean, even when I served the eforiro and the goosey with rice, um, with coconut and um, I think it was coconut and um, onion, fried onion, caramelized onion, rice. I had a chance at that moment to say, should I pair it with something like Samovita or Fufu or something? But I I had to play the long game. So again, it was more like, actually, I want to showcase our food for as long as possible. So there are some risks that I'm going to leave until a bit later on. And I would keep taking them on a journey because there's so much more to our food than just swallow. Even in my home, I haven't had swallow in maybe almost a month. So, but sometimes we act or people think that all we eat is swallow and it's like, actually, no, we have loads of ingredients and loads of ways of cooking and we can always adapt to the audience.
0: Can you imagine the hosts of MasterChef actually eating pounded jam, you know, the real pounded jam? And I think just, they
1: would love it, to be honest. I, th-
0: I think they'd fall asleep.
1: I think they will sleep afterwards, but,
0: <laughs>
1: but, but the way I, I mean, I have a lot of Nigerian friends that, that when they make pounded yam at a party, all, all their white friends eat it and love it. Um, the way I describe it to people is like, it's not different from having mashed potatoes. It's just that ours is more cohesive. And it's not different from the Italians having like polenta. So they would have soft polenta, and they would put like um, a sobuko on it, like a sauce, a rich gravy. I mean, how is that different from a mala? I'm putting a wedu on top. No difference. Um, but 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 the thing we have to be careful of is something like okra. I would have wanted to do okra or ogbono, but I know that what will be termed as a failure in Nigeria, if your okra doesn't draw, mm. they see it here as a negative thing. So they talk about its sliminess. And I'm thinking, that's the authentic authenticity. Uh, yeah, that is. If you cook it, and you lose the sliminess in Nigeria, you've destroyed the <laughs> okra. But, so we, so one has to be smart in, in knowing that there are some things that will be lost in translation. Um, of course. Um, in translation. And if you don't want it to be completely lost in translation, do something else that Safer, get your food out there and let people be talking about Nigerian food. Hmm.
0: How about yeah. begiri?
1: I know begiri <laughs> was on my list of things. Was it? Oh yeah. <laughs> Honestly, because I because I thought about begiri and I thought, you know, when people do like um, mashed puree, smear it on a plate, and I'm like, I could smear your plate <laughs> with begiri. It is a sauce, after all. Honestly. Um, we, it's amazing because um, there the, are the people doing cannellini beans and doing cannellini bean puree after they've cooked it in in like tomatoes, and it's like if you've pureed it, that is begiri, plain and simple. If you take like um, Middle Eastern Israeli falafel, that's akara. So again, I, I think I think we haven't showcased our food in a way that lets people understand that. Many of our food are quite similar to what they would eat here or anywhere else.
0: The Tamils actually have a dish or South India, they have a dish called Mm. vade. Mm. And vade is similar to akara, Mm. you know, a bean cake. And there's so many things when I've traveled all over, well, around the world, and I've seen similarities to certain dishes. Mm. And you thought, oh, Mm. it was not so different. It's not alien food. It's just, it's how it's prepared. So what's your favorite one? Eko Jije or Ekomimu.
1: Mimu? Wow, that's a hard one.
0: And for those of you and for those of you yes. listening, Eko is fermented corn, which mm. is either made as a porridge in the morning and can also be eaten hard with mm. akara. But it's an acquired taste. So if you're Nigerian, you'll know exactly where I'm going with this. So back to the question.
1: Ooh, I would have to go for Ekomumu.
0: Okay, I love right.
1: both because the GJ the, the is a very light dinner. <laughs> mm. So, when I'm in Nigeria, I actually would prefer that to other types of swallow, okay, um, just with a furry roll. But, um, I do love my Ogi and Akara,
0: okay. So, oh, yeah. next one either Eba or Garimimu.
1: I prefer to drink Gary. ever <laughs> From going to body House ever, it's like it makes, it makes me feel like it's prison. <laughs> it was the worst, it was the worst meal in, in secondary school. And for whatever from a young age, I've never liked Eba. I can eat it, and I do eat it, but it has to be with Ogbono or Okra. I can't eat it with any other sauce. And I think as a child, it was just like those sauces helped it to quickly slide down my throat that I didn't have to deal with it. But no, I'm not a fan
0: of ever. Okay. Well, before we go, because it's over an hour now, so I've had so much fun (laughs) with this conversation. First of all, thank you so much for coming onto the episode, Yemi. I really, really appreciate it. Now, you are going to do a family dish for friends Mm. of yours. They want to come down, but they're all vegetarians what will you cook for them
1: are they nigerians or ah
0: they're nigerians let's make it let's make it challenging for you they're all nigerians and as you know you'd be hard-pressed to find a vegan nigerian although i do know a vegan nigerian so you've got all your (laughs) Nigerians i know (laughs) toyin you must be hearing this we're talking about you so all your friends who are meat lovers or fish lovers and you've said oh I want you to come down I'm cooking something special for you guys but it's all vegetarian dishes what would you cook and what music would you play to for them to hear
1: So what I would cook would probably be something to do with beans. So I would use beans as the core, and I would make a kuru because it's something that people don't are not aware of, because you can really fry the pepper, and and typically when you make a kuru, you, the pepper doesn't have any meat or anything in it because you fry it so much that it's. Just gorgeous on its own. So I will make a kuru and then maybe make some moimoi moi for for as an alternative for some of them. So, yeah, it definitely will be something around that. I could have gone with the dal, but if I'm cooking for Nigerians, I will leave Indian food on the side and just go hardcore Nigerian food. And in terms of the music that I would have, I love a bit of blues. I love jazz. So, yeah, it would have to be something, dinner jazz. Um, and one song that I've been loving recently is, i um, forgotten the name of the guy, but it, it says, I was born to love you. Um, and I, I, for some reason, there's this guitar at the start of the song that just gets me um, because it's like it's it's on my playlist that I've played it so many times that I could tell it's on repeat. <laughs> it's, it's Ray is it Montag or something like that. It's Ray. And then the name is La Montag, L-A-M-O-N-T-A-G-N-E. So Montane or something, and uh, Siraf Feral. But it's at the top of my playlist at the moment.
0: And then your Nigerian friends will say to you, Ah, ah Yemi, Where, where's the meat? How would ah. you respond? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if I met them, um, I don't think they would miss the meat.
0: That's true
1: because it's all about it's all about getting the depth of flavor and if you can get the flavor you do not miss the meat um yeah for me i always kind of as a nigerian you always want meat because it's almost like that's austerity measure. If you do food without meat, it's not vegetarian. It's not vegan. It's austerity, austerity. measure in practice. Well, not you to mean. even have a boiled egg. <laughs>
0: Well, Yemi, thank you so, so <laughs> much for coming on to the Swinging Palm Trees podcast. Thank you. <laughs> how soon can we get to see the remaining episodes? And I know it's on BBC, but how or what channel can people, A, uh, watch this and B, how can people get in touch with you? Because I know you're on Instagram and you have a um, you have a page which is called, you know, I've got it here, Yummy by Design.
1: Yeah. So um, people can watch the show. The semifinal start, starts next week. I reckon it will be Tuesday, um, but we're waiting for the BBC to confirm. But it's definitely going to be either Monday, Wednesday, Friday or Tuesday, Thursday, Friday but so just look out on BBC One or BBC iPlayer you can get that and in terms of me you can either follow me on Adelecon or purposefulme.co.uk or yummy by design so yummy by design is one that I created just on the back of the master chef because I've always wanted to do something with food but purposeful me is the one that I've been playing with for like 4 years so I have a weekly blog on that
0: Well, here's to your very many successes with the food and the catering and everything. I wish you all the very, very best. And if you want to be on the podcast, please send me an email to the swinging palm tree at gmail.com. And until next time, be well and Pax Vobiscum.
1: Thank you so much. Cheers.
2: Give me a sign you Give me a lift. You Take me home